Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. Um, If you are new or um, if you are with us for the first time in a long time, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We are going through a series in the book of Romans uh, that has been a huge blessing, and uh, I'm excited to continue in that series this morning. So I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, to go ahead and open that up to Romans chapter 11. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, The past few weeks, uh, we have been working our way through this section of Paul's letter in Romans 9 through 11. And it's a challenging section. We talked about that as we kind of entered into it. It's a challenging se- section in which uh, you know, his ultimate goal is to help us understand, I think maybe we could say it this way, the destiny of Israel. What is the future of Israel? In particular, what's going to happen to Israel uh, as they have rejected the Messiah? Uh, what's going to happen to the covenant promises of God in terms of Israel's future? And so specifically in this chapter, in chapter 11, Paul's going to work through that question uh, by, by talking about this. Has, has God rejected Israel because Israel rejected Jesus? That's, that's kind of the question that's been hovering in the background here as he's talked through 9 through 11. So he wants to address that question. And if you've been here for the last month that we're going through 9 through 11, you may be kind of sensing as, as we come into this and that question comes up, haven't we kind of talked about this already? And you may feel that because we have talked about this already, because Paul's talked about this already. 9 through 11, there's a lot of kind of repetition. There's a lot of sense of, okay, is this really relevant to us? So much so that a lot of people will generally kind of breeze through 9 or 11 just so they can go from 8 to 12. Get the high points, get to those mountain peaks of 8, these amazing chapters and 12 just these encouraging words, because what happens here is Paul is unpacking a, a, a fairly sophisticated argument for a question that we may be tempted to think doesn't have a lot to do with us. And so I just want to encourage us as we get into these chapters this morning to consider that Romans 11 actually has huge significance, huge significance for us, and really for one main reason. And I would put it this way, because the question uh, that Paul asked right here in verse 1, has God rejected Israel? really is about a much bigger question. And that bigger question is this, is God faithful? Is God faithful? Now to see why that question's underneath his question, I think it would be helpful for us just to understand a little bit of context of why Paul is talking about this the way he's talking about that. And to see that, we have to understand the background for Romans 11 is not just Romans 1 through 10, it's actually the entire Bible. It's the entire Old Testament, to be specific, uh, that he is talking to us about the story that's been unfolding through Scripture that God called Israel into this covenant relationship with him. And in the midst of this covenant relationship, he made promises. And among those promises are that he would save Israel. He promised that he would save Israel. But now we've got a problem because Israel has rejected Jesus. They've rejected Israel the Messiah. And so if they've rejected Jesus, the question then emerges, has God's promises failed? Have God's promises failed? In other words, if they rejected God, will he reject them? 
if they rejected God, will he reject them? And just kind of stepping back for a moment, I think that's a point of connection for us. I think that's a heart level point of connection. If we reject God, will he reject us? Maybe another way to think about it is, how many times, God, am I gonna mess up before you give up on me? How many times am I gonna make the wrong choice again and again and again before you finally throw your hands up and you're done with me? I know the depths of my own sin. I know how unfaithful I can be. The question is, does God have a limit? Does God have a limit? Should there be one? Rejection and abandonment are some of the deepest human fears that we can experience. And if our longing for God truly is the deepest longing, then the possibility of being rejected or abandoned by God taps into one of the deepest human fears we can have. And so I think that's why this is relevant. I think that's why this speaks to us. This question, is God ultimately faithful no matter what? Is he faithful? I'm not, but is he? That's the question. Is he faithful? And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to mine Romans 11. Uh, Not because we don't know the answer. We do know the answer. He is faithful. God is faithful. But Paul wants to give us confidence and assurance that he is faithful by helping us see through human history how faithful he is and in the future, in the destiny even of Israel and all Gentiles of the world, how faithful he will be. And so he wants to give us that picture. So how does Romans 11 help us believe that God is indeed faithful? That's what I want us to look at. So uh, Romans chapter 11, verse one, here we go. I ask then, Paul says, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Paul's first point is this, that Israel has rejected Jesus, but that a faithful remnant within Israel has believed in Jesus. So Israel has rejected Jesus, but there's this faithful remnant. So Israel, but within Israel, this faithful remnant that has believed in Jesus. And to kind of illustrate this, Paul immediately turns to a story in the Old Testament. So he turns to the Old Testament, the story of rejection that happens in the time of Elijah. So if you were to turn back to 1 Kings, you would find the story of Elijah, who was a prophet. He was sent to unfaithful Israel to call them back to God. And Elijah, he faithfully did that, but then Israel rejected Elijah, and even they tried to kill him. And so he runs for his life and he runs into the wilderness. He runs to Mount Horeb and then he encounters God. And Paul quotes Elijah here uh, in Romans chapter 11. He says, Elijah said in that moment, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. Elijah is saying, look, I'm looking around at this moment in history. And what I see is that Israel has rejected God. Israel's rejected God. He's looking around in his circumstances and he's saying, there's no hope for me and there's no hope for Israel. I'm the only one left, right? And then he says, this is how bad things have gotten even in my own life that I've lost faith in God's promises. So that's what's happened to Elijah. And then Paul says a question. He says, okay, and what was God's answer to Elijah then? 
I have reserved for myself, says the Lord, 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal, Romans 11.4. In other words, no, Elijah, not all hope is lost. I have remained faithful to my promises to Israel, and through a remnant of 7,000, I will keep my promise to save Israel even as she rejects me. And so Paul is holding this up as, as a point of God's faithfulness from the past to help inform the present. Paul's point is that God is, um, he's not like my middle school self, right? He's not deathly afraid of rejection, <laughs> right? He, he, he's not afraid of Israel's rejection. In fact, he's been through this before many, many times. And now he comes to this moment where Jesus has come and Israel rejects him and it's nothing new. It's nothing new for the Lord, and neither is his response. When Israel has rejected him, he has always kept a faithful remnant within Israel. And that's true now, in this moment with Jesus' arrival. Israel has rejected Jesus as Messiah, but a faithful remnant have accepted him. Paul points to himself, an Israelite, to illustrate that. And so Paul says in verse seven that while most of Israel has hardened their hearts to Jesus and rejected him, this faithful remnant within Israel, the elect, he calls them, within Israel, have obtained salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. So that's his first point, that Israel has rejected Jesus, but a faithful remnant within Israel has believed in Jesus. And that's a testimony to God's faithfulness that he roots in God's history and his relationship with his covenant people and applies it to the present moment. So a testimony to God's faithfulness. Let's keep going. What does he do next? Uh, verse 11, Paul says, so I ask, he's gonna ask another question. Did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to, Gentile, to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? This brings us to Paul's second point that God foresaw Israel's rejection of Jesus as Messiah and is using their rejection to bring salvation to the nations. So in other words, he knew they were gonna reject Jesus. He knew that was going to happen. He foresaw that. And yet he is now using that to bring the nations to faith in Jesus. Paul is actually echoing Jesus' own words from Matthew 21, that Jesus had become a stumbling block for Israel. But as Israel has stumbled, God has even used their stumbling over Jesus uh, to bring in the Gentiles, to make the gospel kind of go out into the world so that they might become a part of the people of God through faith in Jesus. But notice that Paul says they stumbled but didn't fall. What does he mean? That they stumbled but they didn't fall. It's a word of hope. There's still hope. Why is there still hope for Israel? Because even as the Gentiles are receiving salvation by believing in Jesus, Paul says his hope is that that process is gonna actually make Israel over here get jealous. Because <laughs> they're getting Jesus, they're getting the Messiah, and they're not. And so he, his hope is that this, even this process, God will use to draw Israel to himself. In fact, he says it twice, verse 11 and 14. He points to this idea that jealousy actually is part of God's big plan of salvation, that he would see Israel want more and more what they don't have because of what the Gentiles have. 
So Paul, he, he wants us to kind of get this. So he kind of steps back and he says, let me give you guys an illustration of what I'm talking about to kind of help with this. And he talks, starts talking about an olive tree. And he says this, he says, he says here's an, a metaphor to explain what I mean about this Gentile and Israel and, 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 and rejection and, and the, uh, uh, the Gentiles coming in. He says, the people of God are like an olive tree with this strong trunk that's kind of grown up out of the ground through human history. And from this trunk, there are branches. And some of those branches, in particular, he says, these unbelieving Israelites are being broken off because they're rejecting Jesus. They're being broken off and, and thrown off. And in their place, he says, there's these wild olive branches. That's, that's most of us. The Gentiles were the wild olive branches. So he's taking us, he's sticking us on to those places. That's what's happening in this process. And so he says these Gentiles are being grafted into this trunk of this olive tree. But then he also is making the point that, look, if God can do that, right? If he can take wild branches and graft them on to his good olive tree, his people of God, then certainly he can take ones that have been broken off and put them back on. Right? So in other words, he's saying there's hope. He's showing that there is hope. And that's why he says in a few verses, he says, this is a picture of God's kindness and severity. It's a picture of both his mercy and his justice. The rejection of Jesus matters. It means you are broken off from relationship with God and his people. And yet God in his mercy will not give up on any branches any branches, including those that have been broken off. And so he gives us this beautiful picture of this olive tree and the ongoing work of God to graft in branches. Now, Paul says in later, in verse 31, he says something I think helps us understand and walk in humility in this understanding of where we fit onto the tree. He says, look, just to be clear, we all deserve to be broken off. We all deserve to be, we are on the tree by grace, right? And so he says, it's God's mercy that saves us. Everyone, everyone. So recap, Paul has said that we see God's faithfulness in, in two ways so far, that we see it in the fact that Israel's rejected God, but a faithful remnant remains. And second, that God foresaw Israel's rejection and he's using it to save the nations. So God continues to be faithful, which brings us finally to I think what the million dollar question is here in this chapter, will God keep his promise to save Israel? Will he keep that promise? Will he be faithful? Look what he says in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that's coming into being the people of God, and this way all, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. I wanna focus on those last few words. All Israel will be saved. This is what Paul is saying. This is our third point. While Israel has rejected Jesus, God ultimately will save Israel through faith in Jesus. He will save all of Israel through faith in Jesus. Now, to understand how that's gonna happen, we gotta do some hard work. We gotta drill down into this phrase, all of Israel will be saved. So I just wanna give you a heads up. Try to st just stick with me. 
if you get lost, uh, I'm going to circle back and summarize it at the end. But I, I just I wanted to do this because I know some, for some of us, this question about Israel and the future of Israel, and we have a huge passion. We should all have a heart for Israel. But I know for some of us in particular, we have questions around some of these, uh, these things I'm going to say. And so I just want to encourage us and give a little more understanding of how we are supposed to understand, in my opinion, this phrase, all Israel will be saved. So let's drill down. So throughout Romans, I think the first thing to understand, throughout Romans, when Paul says Israel, he is referring to ethnic and national Israel. He's referring to the people of Israel. In other words, he's not just talking about some small faithful remnant like I was talking about before. He's talking about all of Israel, the people of Israel. He's also not talking, I don't think, about the church. Now, some faithful Christians have thought that's what he's saying. Oh, he, this Israel has kind of, now we're talking about the people of God, true spiritual Israel, which is really the church. I don't think that's what he's saying here. I think when Paul says Israel, he's talking about the ethnic descendants of Abraham. He is talking about the inheritors and the recipients of the covenant promises of God. That's who he's talking about because he said that's whose heart has been hardened against Jesus. That's who he's talking about. So that's, that's who Israel is. But when he says all of Israel, what does that mean? All of Israel. When Paul says all, does he mean every single Jewish person within that group? Now, while some Christians, and I want to stress, some faithful Christians would absolutely say yes to that question. They would say, yeah, he's talking about all, every single individual. Paul literally means every single Jew. My personal opinion is that he probably doesn't mean every individual Israelite. And I think there's a lot of good reasons from Scripture, but I would say, let me highlight two. I think for one, in Scripture, the phrase all Israel most often means Israel as a group. In other words, not every individual Israelite. It means Israel as a group. So think about it this way. If, if you went to an event, let's say you went to an event downtown this weekend and you were there and there were so many people. I mean, it was one of the biggest crowds you've ever seen. And you came this morning and you told me about it. You would say, man, I went to this event and the whole city was there, right? You would say the whole city was there. Now you don't mean 3 million people were there, right? The population of Houston. You mean there was some huge representative group that represented the bigger group. That's what you would mean. And I think Paul is getting at something like that here. That's what he means. Second reason I don't think he's talking about individuals is I think Paul wouldn't say what he's already said about this whole situation in chapters one through 11 and nine through 11 in particular if he was talking about it that way, if he's talking about every individual Israelite. Because Paul is genuinely grieved. He's brokenhearted over the fact that his fellow Jews have rejected Jesus. And for Paul, that rejection of Jesus is real. It's, it's, a, it's a real heartbreak. It's a reality, something not artificial because, well, one day it all won't matter because he's gonna save them all anyway. That's not, that's not how Paul thought about this. There was a real problem that he was trying to wrestle with, knowing that one day all Israel will be saved, but that, that some in Israel have rejected Jesus. So, so I think that, that kind of helps us understand that he's talking about kind of a group, a representative group, I would say, when he says all Israel. And then finally, quickly, third, Paul says all Israel will be saved. In verse 26 through 27, he tells us what that means, saved. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. Who's that? 
That's Jesus, okay? So he's pointing right to Jesus. We'll turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus, in other words, Jesus himself will forgive and redeem and restore Israel. They, like everyone else, like everyone else, will come to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And so putting all that together, so here's the summary, if I lost you. When Paul says all Israel will be saved, my belief is that he's saying a fully representative group of the people of Israel, not just a remnant, will ultimately come to faith in Jesus. He doesn't say much more than that here. Now we can speculate about the when and the how. We can look to other passages to kind of help inform that. But what his point is here is that while there's a remnant and they're most reject now, there will come a day, praise God, when most, when this group, this revival, this movement will take place to draw in the people of God, Israel, his covenant people. So God hasn't given up on Israel. I think that's really the thrust of it here. In the fullness of time, he will save Israel through Christ, even if in this moment they reject him and they are still chosen by him as his covenant people and he will be faithful to them. Okay, so to review, Paul said three things. Israel's rejected Jesus, but a faithful remnant has believed in him. Second, God foresaw Israel's rejection and he's used even that to bring salvation to the nations. And then finally, while Israel has rejected Jesus, God will ultimately save Israel uh, through faith in Jesus. As Paul comes to a close for this whole section, he ends it with a doxology. He ends it uh, in, uh, in these verses at the end, starting in verse 33, if you want to look there. He says this. He says, On the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his inscrutable ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has, uh, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. So he, he's kind of crescendoed to this moment of worship. He's, he's really pumped up about what he's just said, right? About these three points that he's just made. He's really excited. Now, why is he so overwhelmed with gratitude for what he's just explained to us? Why is he so in awe as he steps back and he looks at this? Here's why. Because he's stepping back and he's seeing what God has done through the span of history. And he's amazed. And we should be too. When we step back and we think, okay, thousands and thousands of years earlier, God chose Israel to be his people and he promised that through them he would save the world. He would save the nations. He would do that by bringing forth from Israel a Messiah, a savior who would save the people from their sins. What an amazing plan. God is so good. He is so gracious. Good plan, God. But then, uh uh-oh, Israel rejects Jesus. (laughs) Problem. You got a big problem. And you would think, well, that ruins the plan. That ruins God's plan to save Israel and save the nations. And so you might step back and think, it's all lost. But God knew that Israel would reject Jesus. And so in that, his plan, uh, he used that rejection to scatter the seeds of the gospel around the world to fulfill his plan to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus. And so then you would step back and you would, oh, well, praise God for that, but too bad about Israel. And then God says, but wait, <laughs> I'm gonna save Israel too. And so what happens is he said, you think this has ruined Israel's chance for salvation? No, God is actually using the Gentiles to draw Israel back into the people of God. 
And so no wonder he steps back and he says the mystery, the wonder of what God has done. Because here's what God has done. God is God and his plan to save the world through his son Jesus cannot and will not ever be thwarted by anything or anyone. That's what Romans 11 tells us. Praise God. Praise God. And so if we wanna know, is God faithful? He is faithful. And Romans 11 testifies to his faithfulness. Let me give you two quick encouragements, quick encouragements to end. God's faithfulness will never fail you. God's faithfulness will never fail you. In this life, there are moments when it feels like there's no hope. We have those Elijah moments. God, how is this gonna work? How is this gonna work? So think of Elijah, think of Israel, think of Romans 11, think of God's plan, think of Jesus when we face those moments. Think of the cross and the resurrection. And remember, there is always hope because God is God and he is bigger and his plans are better. They are perfect and his promises never fail. And so be encouraged. Remind one another of the promises of God and be encouraged. God is faithful. So one, God, will, his faithfulness will never fail us. And then the second one is, I just wanna encourage us, God will never reject you. God will never reject you. Let me say it again. God will never reject you. Never reject you. Nothing you can do ever places you beyond the reach of God's grace. There's no branch he can't reach and put back. There's no one beyond his plan of salvation. Israel isn't, and you aren't. And so we need to pray, and we need to hold out hope for Israel. I think specifically out of Romans 11, we need to pray for Israel and pray that God would draw them back into the people of God. We ought to have a huge heart for God's people because God has a huge heart for the people of Israel. And we need to hold out hope for ourselves because God does. Whatever sin you have committed, whatever sin you are sitting here with today that no one else knows that you are carrying around within you, that is weighing you down, that is crushing you, that is killing you, whatever that is, it is not beyond God's ability to forgive. It is not beyond his ability to forgive. Your sin and my sin has consequences, but even in our sin, even in our failure, God can use it for good, just like he uses it for good with Israel and the Gentiles just like he's using it for good in our lives. If we will turn to him and seek his forgiveness and trust him, he will never, 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 never reject you. Never, never. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God's faithfulness will never fail us. God will never reject you be encouraged. I want to end just with a prayer, and I, I want to pray some lyrics uh, from a song that the Lord's just been using to minister to me uh, recently. I, I'm going to spare you me singing it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just, I'm just going to read it as a prayer, so you're welcome. Um, but I, I do want to read it as a prayer over all of us this morning, and just pray that the Lord would encourage you and minister to you out of his faithfulness, out of his faithfulness. So if you want to bow your head and just close your eyes. And Lord, I, I just, I thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your faithfulness to me. Lord, that you never give up. That we can never wander too far. Lord, that like that prodigal son, we can come home. We can always come home. You will never reject us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for Romans 11. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for 
our future and what you will do to draw people to Jesus. We thank you for your people, Israel. And Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your faithfulness would hold us fast. And so I just pray these words over us. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.